Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of The Call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, Don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello and welcome to the call. Great to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon, the 8th of April. Over the next 60 minutes, we will delve into 10 companies picked by you. I've got two expert guests here with me in studio to run us through it. I'm Nadine Blaney, just sitting in for David Kosh. We've got Rudy Philippek van Dijk from FN Arena here with me in studio. Hello, Rudy. Good to see you there again. Hello, Nadine. And joining us via Skype at top of the afternoon to you, Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. And to you, Nadine. Good afternoon. So a lot of hype, Scott, about this local market surpassing that 7,000 mark for a short time today. Let's put it in perspective, though. Does that milestone, first time since February 2020, change anything you're thinking about in terms of individual companies? No, no, it doesn't. And I think that's what's really important here is to look about the composition of that particular index. In fact, I did some numbers not long ago. Remember, of course, the banks are about a third of the ASX, give or take, depending how you define the financial sector. And so you've got to ask yourself about individual stocks, which is what we're going to do over the next hour versus the market as a whole. The banks are so big and so important. Frankly, they've been a drag on that index over the last five years, believe it or not. Bank share prices down 22% over the five years between the 1st of January 2016 and end of 2020. Now, that bounced back nicely recently, so that's positive. Uh, but really, if you think about the index itself, that's one thing. If you're an ETF investor, you have to care. I do think the market will keep going higher over time. That's over the long term, by the way. That's not a forecast. That's just the most likely outcome. But as we're talking about today, the individual companies, particularly those below the big banks, I think are where some of the opportunity is and some of the risk. Uh, but that's certainly where I'm focusing my attention. It's almost, Rudy, as if Scott Phillips has been reading your Twitter feed because you were on about the banks yesterday, weren't you? Yes, I mean, I like, I like pointing out that um, there's just this discrepancy in Australia where, where some people, not, not including me, and I'm assuming it's not uh, uh, Scott as well, uh, always denominate banks as quality. And yet, on my observation, I mean, every day there's, a, there's, a, there's an investigation, there's a fine, there's a court case, they've been calling out for... Uh, for deceptive behavior. Uh, I don't know about other people's uh, denomination of quality, but I don't think in my, in, on my definition, that's not quality. All right, we <laughs> will. keep it to that one. <laughs> I don't think that we're gonna get too far into the banks for the rest of this program. We will get into our stock of the day. I chose this one because, well, the share price is going really well. Timestamp it just past 12 noon Eastern here in Sydney and uh, I am M. Immutemp is up by 10%. It is a cancer drug maker and it's been given the green light by the US FDA for fast track designation. That basically means 
Its top drug candidate could be expedited for development and review with the U.S. regulator. There will now be more frequent meetings, Imutep says, with more communications with the FDA as the business looks to set up clinical trials for potential commercial use. Scott Phillips, Motley Fool, I'll start with you on this one. Yes, it is a biotech. Yes, it is a notoriously difficult area of the market, a long road to get these products to commercialization. But this one is developing novel immunotherapy cancer treatments, and it looks as if it's hitting the mark. Then you, you've pretty much taken the words right out of my mouth, so I should just pass back to Rudy. No, I'm kidding. Look, I think you're exactly right. This is the challenge for anyone in this space, and it is the occasional big winner. Um, CSL, obviously, probably the, the you know the, the poster child for this one, but but plenty of others besides that do well, and the scores and scores of businesses that do badly that makes this such a difficult area to try to predict. Um, we've seen plain miso blast, of course, the latest to be whipsawed around over the last 12, 18 months, uh, largely, of course, COVID-related. This one's not. Of course, Imutep is a cancer drug, hopefully. And it's one of those businesses that you hope desperately will be successful because it means such great medical outcomes for people who are struggling with these conditions. The question really is, is the approval worth $300 million you've got to pay for the company? Now, it's obviously less risk than it was yesterday. By the same token, the market's already reflected that by dropping up 10% today on the back of, as you can already see on screen, a 250% gain over the last 12 months. And I think that's the hard part is most of the news is already priced in here. The question for us is now the market knows what it knows, you've then got to re-handicap the future again on the back of the information we already have. And I have to say, that's a really, really hard task. I'm giving this one a miss. I know it's a it's a cop out, but I just don't think you, without earnings, without uh, frankly, even a product without revenues, you can reasonably assess a value for this, let alone how big, how widespread it might be. Certex, another one that comes to mind, a company that actually had a product uh, and still couldn't necessarily make a lot of money for investors, a bit of uh, corporate shenanigans at the same time, of course. This is just a really, really hard one. So I don't blame anyone for going on the ride, but I don't know how you can fundamentally assess it and decide it's worth X hundred million dollars, in this case, 300 million. So I'm giving this one a miss. This is an avoid coming from Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Uh, Rudy, over to you, because we hope for all of our sakes that there will be some of these companies that are successful. So what needs to happen for you to become interested in investing in a company like Imutep? Well, let me start by saying something that I'm going to say a lot today. I'm going to stay on the camera and I'm going to say, Rudy says no. <laughs> and so we can we can do this we can do this ten times today. Well, if, if it's going to be a short program, then, folks. Sorry about that. No, but why no? The, 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 I just challenge everyone because I'm, I'm just picking on where where Scott left it because I'm not going to repeat everything he mm -hmm. said. But I challenge everyone to come up with a biotech that has grown from a micro cap into a large cap, other than CSL, and we don't have one. And and I think there is your problem as a as an investor who. Um, has a different strategy of just jumping on a stock that goes up or trying to play momentum or try to do a short-term trade. The problem with those companies is that they are not companies. They are concepts, they are ideas, uh, they are developers, and, and they are um, uh, capital absorbers. And uh, we yet need to see whether they, are, whether they become turned into a company. And we've seen, we've seen History is littered with a lot of them that, that do, do move to the next phase, but ultimately fail in the, in the, in basically in the phase of developing a company once they have a product. So there's so much uncertainty. And, and the, the most important thing here is that you can't predict what comes next. It's simply impossible. Not even management at the company. Of course, they're confident, but they don't really know what, what happens next year. 
And so there's a complete different way of, of investing, essentially. And, um, and I think the key, the key important part to remember here is risk. And, and yes, you need, to, you need to take on risk when you put your money in the share market, but there are gradations in the risk that you take. And for me, I totally agree with, uh, with, with uh, Scott, this is way too much risk for me. Having said so, um, there's one stock book I'm aware of that does cover the stock, which is Bell Potter. They're quite positive. They see many, many more catalysts on the horizon. Their price target before today was, for memory, 60, 65 cents, uh, which is still above today's share price. Mm -hmm. But again, it's a biotech, it's a momentum driven. It doesn't mean it will go to 65 cents tomorrow. It that might take six months to get there. Trading at about 48 cents right now. Yes. That is Immutep. It is a no from both of our guests. Let's get to the companies that you've submitted for review by our experts, Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool and Rudy Philippek Van Dyke from FN Arena. The first one's coming from Kim. It is a question about Pact Group, PGH packaging. Scott Phillips had a bit of a leg up through the COVID crisis. Can it continue? Uh, it's also in the middle of selling a contract manufacturing business. Tell us your view about PACT. Yeah, Nadine, really good question. I think that's one of, this is this is one of those ancillary businesses or categories that you've got to be a little bit mindful of when it comes to the changing economy. And I think, as you rightly point out, I mean, the number of boxes that are coming through our front gate at the moment is, is frankly a little bit out of control. And so you, you think businesses like this should do reasonably well from that changing uh, tailwind. You've got a lot of individually packaged products where before you might have had that group packaged product, of course, and then a couple of plastic bags out of the supermarket or the, or the retail store. That being said, Pact is largely in plastics and metals. Um, so not necessarily in the straight up cardboard box business. Or he doesn't want to be in the cardboard box business because that's a really commoditized industry. My concern with Pact is I think the others are also equally commoditized or commoditizable. And I, I really worry about a business like this, which look, the P is 15. It's not super expensive. And so I don't think it's one you want to necessarily run away from screaming. Um, it's probably going to do terribly for you. The question's got to be, where does growth come from at a PE of 15 for a business that does the nuts and bolts of commerce? And GDP is going to grow at two, three, four, if we're super lucky, percent a year in the future. Yes, maybe they get a little bit of a tailwind again, maybe add a percentage point or two to that on the back of moving to uh, online commerce, local delivery, over packaging. Again, that's probably a, an environmental challenge of the company and the economy has got to deal with at some point as well. So I just don't see enough growth here to be paying 15 times earnings for PACT. If there is an upside here, it is probably that given the market itself, as we've already started with the program saying, doing pretty well, uh, this isn't overly challenging valuation-wise compared to the market. Uh, that being said, I don't think that's enough of a reason to buy these shares. And particularly, the longer you go out into the future, the more these one-off valuation changes hurt you. So if you're going to make a, a valuation-based call on a couple of percentage points different from the market or a couple of PE points away from the market, you've got to hope that closes, then you've got to sell. That's going to be a short-term thesis because once it closes, you've then got to ask yourself, where does the growth come from? And again, remember, the market tends to put on 8 9 10 11% a year. I just don't see that coming from PACT over the short to medium term. This is way too commoditizable an industry. I won't call it a straight out commodity just yet, but man, you've got to run fast just to stay still because there's plenty of people around the world copying your innovations and prepared to offer it for a much lower price, particularly out of the Asian developing countries and increasingly out of Africa. Yeah, talking about this uh, circular economy, the circular the use of these packaging products. So that is a no, it's an avoid in your book, Scott Phillips, better place in the market to make money. In your view, is Pact a reasonable company 
even for potentially a short-term investment? No. So let me start with the, with, the, with the main things. It really says no and really agrees with, uh, with Scott. But I have a slightly different, different take. I think the, if you go to the, to, the, to the main players in that sector, you have MCO, you have Aurora, and you mm -hmm. have a Pact, essentially. There's a few smaller ones, but they're, they're small for a reason. If you look at the companies in terms of quality and of track record, then MCO is number one, Aura number two, and Pact is definitely at a distance number three. Now, the irony this year is that Pact has the best share price performance, followed by Aurora, and, and MCO is the laggard. Mm -hmm. That tells you a lot about how the share market is thinking this year and how the share market is responding mm -hmm. to the recovery trade this year. It's picking the companies that have basically fared, fared the worst in the past because what you get at some point is you, get, you simply get a mathematical adjustment. You, you come from a low base and all of a sudden you have growth. So I agree with, with Scott, below the mathematical adjustment, and probably there is some improvement going on at PACT because they do have had a, f a few, I mean, let's call it bottom drawing years. Um, but in the medium to longer term, it's a very tough ask for them. And I would propose that um, the laggard in this sector, MCO, is a much better proposition than, uh, uh, than PACT is. But would you be buying MCO? Or is it just I an own, area of I own MCO. Yep. And I would definitely buy it at this level, yes. Okay, that's a bonus buy, people. MCore, writing that down. Let's get into the tech space, shall we? This question comes to us from Jamie. Just wants to know about WiseTech, WTC, WiseTech Global. Pandemic impacted. Downgrade came through. Uh, but is that downgrade cycle, well, it wasn't really cycle, but did have downgrade. Yes. Is it behind WiseTech Global, Rudy? That is the question mark for this year. Yeah. So it's not without risk. Um, maybe all good to point out as well that um, some of the tech analysts who have looked into the sector recently, uh, some of them do like WiseTech, but they do like zero a lot more. And I would agree with that assessment, mm -hmm. even though on face value, it looked like one is more expensive than the other one. Um, the problem with WiseTech is, and that, that is sort of a problem that can be resolved, but we have to wait, is that it's essentially an acquisition-driven business um, that is now promising to investors that it's going to show that it can grow without Without the M&As, because they've, they've yes. placed pause, they've pressed yes. pause on the M&As. So now the, the proof has to be delivered. <laughs> and um, of course the share market is at this point in time is taking a quite a uh, positive view that they will, that's why the valuation is where it is. Share price is back above $30, had been a while since it was there. Uh, it would appear that the shorters have gone silent, at least for the time being. Um, but now we, we have, we, the, the, the proof has to be delivered. Um, I'm not a shareholder at this point in time. I would, out of a risk assessment, I would actually wait here and, and not jump on board because there's no guarantee that they actually will deliver to everyone's liking. And, and, it's, and it remains an open question. There are some governance problems still in there and, and, and et cetera. So I would, actually, I, would, I would actually wait here and not jump on board. If you are on board and you have, and you have profits, Maybe, maybe it's not a bad idea to take, to take some off the table here. Okay, so that's a trim the profits uh, as well. I'm curious to get your thoughts on WiseTech. Obviously, that's what we're here for, Scott. But is it well-placed to benefit from the pandemic, from supply chain, from logistics? One of those themes that really has come to the fore and, and could potentially remain. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to be a, a, an agreement hour, but I think that's exactly right. And you, you've highlighted perfectly 
the upside for WiseTech, and I think this is why this is, for mine, it's a valuation question rather than a business question. Um, the This is an amazingly fragmented and very, very, very large market. And if you think that WiseTech has a decent chance of being able to consolidate that market in a meaningful way, and Rudy's talked about the acquisitions, as have you, um, that, that, that kind of you know, return to acquisition at some future time, the organic growth, the, the continued aggregation of this sector. And it could be one of those things where it's a bit of a snowball rolling down a hill, right? Like it doesn't take much. YSEC's still very small as a percentage of the market here. Once it gets to a decent size, once the network effect really start to kick in, once the aggregation opportunities really start to pay off, this could be a runaway train. Now, I don't want to just paint this as all positive, but the reality is that's very possible, right? So you, you to Rudy's point, you exit this one at your peril. Uh, because if if those reasons you're in there are the reasons I've just talked about, there's nothing to suggest that this can't happen over time. The risk, of course, I think is twofold. The first is the revenue is growing really, really strongly. The problem is that profits haven't yet followed. And so on a per share basis, they're kind of treading water. And that, if it continues, is a really ugly way to try and grow a business. Great top line growth, great reported profit growth. But if you're doing it through debt or equity issuances or something else and your bottom line's not moving, you're wasting time. This, that's literally profitless prosperity. And that's the big risk, I think, for wise tech shareholders. The PE well over 100 right now. You want to be very, very careful. You're not overpaying for a business that hasn't yet shown it can deliver profitable growth. There is a big difference between aggregation just for scale and for vanity. And I'm not saying wise tech is necessarily doing it for that reason. But they haven't yet put the money on the table. You know, the old show me the money question is really unanswered for WiseTech. 119, 116 times earnings, I think it was when I looked at it. It's just, it's a lot of money to pay for that hope. Now, as I said, I'm, I'm far from convinced you're going to lose money buying it because it doesn't take all that much. If they can tickle that earnings up a little bit, I mean, their margins have basically fallen in earnings per share basis uh, really meaningfully as that revenue has grown. If you can tickle it up a little bit, if you can deliver some of those aggregation benefits, if you can deliver more organic growth, even if you go back to acquisitions, and actually start acquiring and creating that network effect for yourself, it doesn't take much. Again, when it becomes the dominant player or even even you know a minority player, but the most dominant of all the minority players, then all of a sudden you, you want to use it, your customers want to use it, your suppliers want to use it, and it really does become that runaway train. So I'm very, very aware that's possible. I, like Rudy, I wouldn't be in a rush to sell it, but I really, on the basis of their reported results, their delivered results so far, can't find enough reason to say you should pony up a triple figure PE for a business that isn't growing its bottom line just yet. Let's stay in the tech space. That's a no, by the way, coming from Scott Phillips with Hanson Technologies. I will begin with you then, Scott, since your mind's already there. This is for Ed. He points out that they recently, the company recently had a big contract win in Germany. I think it's with uh, Telefonica, uh, the German division, at least, of that giant telco. So that Will it, you know, bring about a significant earnings boost in the full year that we're in? Will it necessarily roll over to some more deals along those lines? I think it has to, Nadine. I'll, I'll do a Rudy and I'll say Scott says yes uh, on, on Hanson <laughs> to get that out of the way early. If we're talking about ourselves in the third person and answering it up front, we'll be, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll happily jump aboard that train. Um, look, I say yes, but but with a caveat. Uh, WiseTech, uh, sorry, WiseTech, Hanson's share price has done really, really well recently. It's a significant market beater over the last 18 months or so. And that's that's no small feat given what it does, which is relatively boring and stayed. And there may well be some rotation benefit in that. You can see that big jump there. This is a business that is a really, really boring business with really small amounts of organic growth. So while WiseTech, it has acquired to get big and to kind of get scale, 
Panther is doing the same thing. Now, it's a much more, much different business. It has locked-in customer contracts, utilities, uh, pay TV billing, that kind of stuff, more, more, moreover. That's that's its core business. And it's going to grow really, really slowly because once you've got a customer, you've got them. The number of new customers available are reasonably small. It has a long and storied history of basically growing largely by acquisition, majority by acquisition for a very long period of time. So it kind of needs to keep doing those to actually deliver bottom line growth and it needs to do it at attractive prices. So th this is one of those situations where you're saying, I'm not taking the acquisition and saying, oh, great, now I can add more to the PE or more to the more to the bottom line. You're kind of saying, thank goodness they've done the acquisition because that underpins the investment case. And yeah, that does absolutely add a whole lot of risk. If they overpay, if they integrate badly, if they choose a bad acquisition, if they if they screw it up, uh, that this is a business that really can suffer from that. And again, as you can see on that chart, it's been a really rocky ride. Frankly, down more than up. Uh, and so investors have done reasonably well only in the life. You had to hold for you know. 95% of that time to actually see a positive return in your investment for the most part. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very solid, very decent business. It's not overly expensive at 17 odd times earnings if it can keep growing. There is some question about valuation at this point, I have to say. So I'll say it's a buy, but I'll say it's a buy with a with an asterisk. I don't think you want to get it much more expensive before you don't you stop buying. I'd still hold it if you, if you own it. You probably own it because you want something exposed to tech, but something that's not going to scare the horses. A decent standard, you know, just just a grind away delivery. But as you can see from that chart, it's been a long time coming for shareholders. So buy, but not much more. Uh, probably another ten percent, maybe yeah, ten percent above that. Probably you're starting to hold. I think the price gets too expensive. I don't know, I'm much more boring than Scott. That's for sure. <laughs> Scott, 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 summarized it well, I think, and uh, I think we both know this company quite well. If you look through the through the history of Anson, and it has been around since the dot com year, so it has a long history. It's it's easy identifiable that it goes through a period when all of a sudden it it, it does acquisition, has new contracts, all exciting, and it sort of evaporates. It, it goes away, and then nothing happens. And and my favorite observation is that uh, in the years when I used to own the company, this is at least a decade ago, it paid out six or seven cents in dividends and last year that's exactly what it did. And so it hasn't advanced in 10 years. It's going to advance now. So now if there is a time again, now is the time to, to, to be on board if, if, if that's the type of stock you, uh, you, you're aiming for. But the warning will be don't stay on board for too long because ultimately it's going to run out of puff again because it has a very stable base of customers but it doesn't translate much into growth and benefits for shareholders over time. It has to do those acquisitions. Um, obviously, we can do acquisitions in this um, environment as long as the target is, is on its knees, but everything in terms of assets and technology is quite highly valued. Mm -hmm. So you have to question this. So I would basically go like, go for, there are better technology companies with much more growth out there, much more sustainable, much more stronger for the years ahead. Zero. For Fist example. Uh, I would say uh, EML payments. Mm -hmm. uh, I would uh, also nominate um, uh, Technology One, although mm -hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't chase it at this level. Um, but over years, they, they they perform much better, much more consistently. So uh, unfortunately, this we're going to re rewind this one. Rudy says no. Rudy says no once again. <laughs> Piedmont Lithium. I feel like I know what he's going to say. PLL is the ticker code. This is for you, Ben. Just today announced that it has increased its lithium resources by 40%. It's North American based. Its asset is one of the largest spotamine resources in that North American continent. It has an updated scoping study that will be released next month. So that brings me to 
timing these things yes, as well. Exactly, Why yes. would you buy today when you know that there's a scoping study that will be released to market next month? The, the observation with resources companies that do not produce as yet is that it's, it's all about sentiment and, and basically that's it. And about making announcements that get, that get gets the market excited. But mm -hmm. when you make an announcement yes. that you have the potential to supply Tesla, exactly. you know they've got a. Uh, exactly. The U.S. <laughs> wants to get locally supplied lithium. Exactly. I mean that sounds really good. Exactly. And I mean my favorite observation here is um, uranium. We had uh, Paladin Energy at the time, different name. Uh, they were not producing anything, and they, the share price went to ten dollars, and then they started producing things, and the share price ultimately ended up below one dollar. And, and that's, that's resources stocks for you. So, yes, you can add things like this to your, to your portfolio, but it really still says no for the average investor because you have to play the momentum and you have to have the, the risk appetite for it because these things will become volatile at one stage. Um, yes, there is a, a shortage coming for, for lithium projected, but it is a resources, it is a commodity and supply will catch up at some stage again and those share prices, even though the story for batteries and for electric vehicles will not change necessarily, the story will for the commodity producers. Scott, if you wanted to gain exposure to the EV thematic, if you believe that that is coming to fruition, why wouldn't you have a small exposure to a company that looks as if it's going to be producing, that looks as if it uh, will be able to secure offtake agreements with some of the biggest names out there? Mm. The answer would be, Nadine, because if you say, why wouldn't you? The answer is you wouldn't do it if you believed that the market for lithium will do the same thing as the market for every other commodity ever, which is more higher prices lead to more supply, more supply leads to lower prices and so on and so forth. Rudy's right, there may be a short-term squeeze on lithium production. That might be great for investors. Then you've got to time the shortage, you've got to time the price, you've got to time the share price and try and get all that right and then get in and out at the right times. And by the way, if it's already overvalued because the market's already expecting that, there's nothing left on the table. And so that's the challenge with timing any sort of short-term trade, but particularly with commodities, you have to have a view on all those things and get them all right. Because if you get one of them wrong, you know, if, if you're right at everything else, but the share price already allows for that, there's no gains. If you're right at everything else except the shortage of lithium lasts for a shorter period of time, or somebody else somewhere else announces a 10X growth in their reserves or something else happens, uh, then all of a sudden the squeeze doesn't happen. Uh, so that's that's the challenge with with this sort of thing. I think it's one thing to say EVs will grow, lithium demand will grow, therefore buy lithium. That would be true if the amount of lithium available was finite. In other words, if the demand was going to increase prices permanently, I'd be at the front of the line. I'd be pushing Rudy out of the way to get to the front of the line to buy the Piedmont lithium right now, and I'd be I'd be happily you know seeing my way to the bank. The problem is that we know. I mean, look at oil, right? If, again, let's take EVs out and replace it with internal combustion engines. And if we'd been on this program in 1911 rather than 2021, and someone said, look at the growth of cars over the next century or century and a half, look at what's going to happen. And don't you want to be in on that? Guess what? They're all going to be powered by oil. Surely you'd want some oil to be part of the internal combustion engine boom, wouldn't you? And a reasonable person would have said, yeah, absolutely. What, how could you lose? The answer is you lose because a whole lot more oil is found and the price barely keeps up with inflation throughout the next century. And I think that's the real risk for investors right now. If you're paying $1.5 billion for a lithium player with an okay reserve and, and with you know good good prospects of future growth in volume terms, you have to you, you better believe the price goes high, stays high for an extended period of time. Otherwise, you're paying up for a whole lot of margin that may not eventuate. Now, maybe it does. So I'm not saying short the company. I'm certainly not saying this can't possibly do well. 
What I'm saying is there is no reasonable basis to believe it will be different this time. As John Templeton once famously said, the four most dangerous words in investing are this time it's different. I don't think it'll be different this time necessarily. And unless you know or have a really strong reason to believe it will be, I think buying right now might well be a mistake. Ben, that's your answer on Piedmont Lithium. Nicholas has written in about Janison Education Group. I had to look this one up. J-A-N is the ticker code. This is a company that does education technology, essentially. It has recently been uh, awarded national service provider by the OECD for the Program for International Student Assessment. I asked around the newsroom, nobody was overly familiar with it. I think it's PISA, and it also does so in other countries as well. Janison Education Group. Rudy, do you know it? Do you like yes. it? Yes. Um, too small for me. I like uh, IDP Education, which mm-hmm. is uh, the larger player and more, more successful player in that sector. Um, the problem with companies like Janison is, is basically their size. And size can work both ways. I mean, um, as a small company, you can be very agile and change. And if, if customers all of a sudden go online and, and it all works well, then uh, the share price goes up, which basically has done. Um, I don't necessarily think um, that this share price won't go higher in the years ahead because these guys can, can do what they've been doing over the past 12 months, and that, that's positive. Um, I just question at this point in time whether that is for the time being not already in the share price. Um, and on, on, and that's, a, that's another reason for me, again, similar to um, PACT and MCOR, uh, I would prefer IDP education here above uh, Janison. I believe that's Rudy saying no, just to sum that one up. <laughs> yes. Scott, do you have a different view? Could this be a technology company that does well into the future or to Rudy's point, is that priced in? I mean, is there any value left in this share price? I, I think it's so. I will say Scott says yes. Let's let's add a, add a bit of spice to the conversation, mm-hmm. um, but only only largely because of a different um, risk tolerance to what Rudy's expressed. In the sense that I can't disagree with anything Rudy said, and his point about size being both a blessing and a curse is absolutely right. It would take not much for this company to lose a couple of customers, and frankly, you know, it's. I won't say its very existence would be in question, but operating scale, operating leverage works both ways, right? You lose a couple of customers, big customers when you're small, and all of a sudden there's your excess cash flow. Um, I'm reminded of Origin Group to go way back. You know, they, they were kind of a really successful business, lost one of their, their losses, that was half their business, so it was big, but that was enough effectively to be a death knell for the entire operation, even though the Origin brand survives. Um, Janice doesn't lose, need to lose too many customers to effectively be at risk. On the flip side, gain a couple of customers, gain a bit of volume and the recovery in international tourism and international student movement particularly, which of course we hope is is returning sooner rather than later. Um, and all of a sudden, Janison's off to the races. So this is absolutely one that because of its size, because of the industry that it's in, um, is one you should consider, I won't say purely speculative, but I will say much higher risk than the average bear. I don't dispute Rudy's view about IDP education. I, I probably prove that one too. Um, but I don't think, if, if choosing one or the other, I choose IDP on the basis of being, being lower risk and having less um, existential concern. But I do think, and, and the team here also like Janison, um, I do think it's a business that really could continue to improve. I don't think it's super expensive um, at the current price if they can continue to sign more customers, but you are absolutely taking that risk. So go into this with both eyes open, um, write down a piece of paper somewhere that you're buying this knowing that it could go badly. Uh, but if it does do well, if you do get some operational scale, and there's reason to believe it will continue to. You mentioned the recent contracts that it signed. Um, it seems to be a player that people like, trust, are prepared to put their faith in the OECD deal. There's something of social proof for future deals, future customers, a reference site of type. 
And so that, that could be good news for it. I will, I will be a cautious buy on Janison. Cautious buy. Well, let's sum up what we've learned in the past half hour or so. The stock of the day was Imutep, IMM is the ticker code. Rudy says that it is a concept, it's not a company. This is the first of many no's to come from Rudy. It's also an avoid for Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. It's a biotech, it's just too difficult. It's a notoriously difficult area. It doesn't have any profit, so therefore, how do you value? the company. Pact Group is the first on the list for Kim. This is also a no from Rudy. He's given you a buy in that space though, which is Amcor. He just says, look, the quality is lower than others in the space. It's a very tough ask for him. And Scott is asking, where will the growth come from for this company? And it's not particularly cheap. It's a no coming from Scott Phillips at The Motley Fool as well. Wise Tech, um, essentially Scott says, show me the money. So you've got this track record, uh, you're buying all these businesses, but you're start not making a profit. It comes down to revenue versus profit once again. So he's questioning the valuation rather than necessarily the fundamentals of the business. Rudy's saying no right now. Watch it. See how those M&A, uh, see how those acquisitions get integrated. See how they pull off the, the deals that have been already done because it is essentially an acquisition-driven business. So it's a no. Uh, another no coming from Rudy. Hanson Technologies, just for a change, we've got a yes coming from Scott Phillips. He says, look, it's a boring tech, but it has done well. The caveat to that being is that the share price has already run hard, but if it continues to plot along and do what it's doing and execute well, it is a buy from him at these levels. Not so for Rudy. He says, look, it is again very M&A focused. If you were to buy it, it would be a trade. You wouldn't stay on board for very long. Rather than looking at Hanson Technologies, he would be more inclined to look at EML Payments or Technology One, though Technology One not at these levels. Piedmont Lithium, Scott Phillips said, history will repeat itself. Supply will rise to meet demand. Why would it be any different this time? And Rudy agrees, hits a no for him. You have to have a risk appetite for this one. Uh, yes, it could be supplying the EV market, but supply again will catch up with demand. That's a no, Ben, from both of the guys. And the last one, Jenison Education Group, J-A-N is the ticker code. It's a no from Rudy. It's too small for him. IDP is his preferred pick in that education space, and that's the same story for Scott Phillips, although he does have, Motley Fool has a buy on this company, but it is a high-risk proposition, needs to continue to acquire those customers. It could drop if it loses a couple of those, but it could be a play on that reopening trade, education, more international students, et cetera, et cetera. So that is a sum up of the first half hour. Just to get you across our portfolio, thanks of course to our partner NAB Trade. You know the rules, the companies that get two thumbs up or a buy from both of our experts. We've been putting in the portfolio. None have gone in so far today. Over the week up by 3%, over the month up by 7%, and in the full year to date about 27.5%. Yesterday we added the Vanek Vectors Australian Banks ETF, Centuria Capital, next DC. Previous session of the call, we entered AUB Group, Steadfast, and uh, also in there still Bell Financial Group and Pacific Smiles and E-Road. You can check out that portfolio yourself. Ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio is the address for that. All right, guys, let's get into it once again. Scott Phillips, Motley Fool, I'm going to stick with you. 
Yesterday, we had Auckland, actually it was two days ago, we had a travel bubble opening between Australia and New Zealand, although I did read before coming in here that there has been a positive COVID test in mm. uh, New Zealand. Auckland International Airport has said that even the prospect of a tra uh, the travel bubble will lower its cash burn. So we've seen the travel names, Webjets, Flight Centers, Qantas lifting on the back of that news. Not so for the airport operators. So does that mean Auckland Airport is a buy? Well, that's a really good way to ask the question, and I, I like it a lot. I, I'm not as look. I, I own a couple of those travel stocks, but I own corporate travel and Webjet, so I, I'm fully invested in, in the return of international travel at the appropriate time. I do think the market tends to whipsaw these stocks around way too unreasonably. Um, it gets too pessimistic when there's bad news, too optimistic when there's good news. The reality needs to be invested need to look long term. The travel budget, the travel bubble, is great for a whole lot of reasons. It's great to start to normalise travel again. It's great that we can get some of these people back to work. It's great that the airlines and the airports get to actually stretch their muscles, stretch their legs again after 12 months of sitting on the couch, uh, literally and metaphorically. It, it's, a, it's a story of, of recovery, which is great. I wouldn't be doing anything as a result of, of the announced travel bubble. A, as you've already mentioned, it's very possible that circumstances close that bubble again, and that shouldn't be either you know, a surprise, not necessarily reason to, to hate these stocks. Um, it's a long-term story. You've got to be looking out three to five years and saying, do I think there is international travel? Do people still travel through Auckland International Airport in this case? Is that good for the business? I'm, I struggle with Auckland because, and again, that chart's actually pretty much the story, actually. If you think about where it is now, the recovery between that and some sort of normal is not that much. It's not enough in terms of the, the, the potential upside from the recovery. In other words, the recovery is largely priced in to those shares. I mean, it's a higher price than it has traded at for most of the last five years, despite the fact there is no travel bubble or it's one just been announced. There is no broader international travel. And I don't think you're necessarily being offered a bargain with Auckland in particular. Most of these travel stocks at this point doesn't mean they can't do okay. But there's no immediate bounce back bubble being offered to say, hey, jump in, grab the shares. Um, you know, this is obviously a great deal. I do think it's a really high quality asset. I like Auckland International Airport as a business. I like the asset that it has. Massive, massive land bank. I think someone said once the land mass is bigger than Sydney Harbour, something like that, that Auckland Airport owns. Um, I'd, I'd want to check that, but I think that's what I've heard. Um, in that circumstance, it's, it's hard to hate it as long as that cash burn can be managed because if you have to raise equity then everything's out the window every bit of analysis you do is out the window and the question is how much debt or equity do they raise how far are you diluted what risks does it have to the business or to your total returns i can't buy it at the current price i just think there are better businesses out there frankly the other travel businesses have webjet has international beds bookings flights and has retail operations around the world corporate travel similar um, and again i own webjet and corporate travel so I take that with a grain of salt but these are businesses that aren't constrained Monopoly operations are great. It's great to own Sydney Airport or Auckland Airport when everyone's coming in because no one else can take the business away from you. But when you need diversification, the other guys have it, Auckland doesn't, I'd be waiting for this one. Rudy, any difference of opinion there? Slightly, but not 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 fundamentally, no. Rudy agrees with, uh, with Scott, it's a no. Uh, unless, of course, um, we, we take a longer term view. Uh, see, what the market is doing here is pricing in a substantial part of the recovery but not in the full and if you look at current market forecasts uh, I was actually quite um, surprised by by how gradual the, re the projected recovery is for cash flows and for dividends again from this stock uh, at this point in time given where, where, where it came from when, when it was trading above nine dollars um, so if you want to buy this preferably at a lower level but that's the market not, doesn't necessarily give you a lower level 
but you almost by definition have to take a long-term view. And long-term view, I would say, is, is definitely five years. I wouldn't go lower here. Because the, the reopening of economies and travel, and, and I mean, that's all still mm-hmm. pretty much up in the air. And, 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 and it's not London, it's Auckland. Um, so it's, mm-hmm. it's, there's, a, there's a slight difference here. Um, so by definition, you have to take a long-term view. And yes, ultimately, on a positive scenario, you will get your dividends back, you will get your price back at $9 mm-hmm. probably, but you might have to wait a long, a long time, longer than if, you, if, you, if, 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 you, if you're th- placing this in comparison mm-hmm. to your banks and to your transurbans and stuff like that, this might be a longer-term story. But this is a no from you today. You wouldn't be buying yes, this today. no. no. Bruno, there's your answer. Sam has written in about Chorus, CNU, so sticking across the ditch in New Zealand, theme of the week. Uh, why, why, Rudy, would you buy a company that has its revenue basically legislated? Yes, well, that's, that's problem number one in this, in this context. It wasn't a problem throughout most of the past decade, and, and, I, and I think that a lot of investors were on board with Chorus because it actually was a quite a, a, a decent dividend payer. Uh, on current projections, there is still a dividend, di- dividend waiting for them, but there are now quite some question marks whether that dividend will actually be, be realized and whether that they will not have to cut their dividends. So apart from the fact that, um, I mean, I'm not a one day-to-day follower of the telecommunication market in New Zealand, uh, let me get that. Let me get that straight up. But my understanding is that competition is intensifying over there, and and then the fact that they uh, are now being constrained a little bit more by the regulators in New Zealand. So the company has now had to issue a few, um, let's say it, uh, disappointing uh, market announcements. That's why that's what now reflects mm-hmm. in the share price. So the share price looks cheap, but sometimes you have to be careful that you're not you're not falling into a, to, into a trap. And I would avoid this one for the time being. Too much uncertainty, and there, and there is no natural limit to the, to, the, to the negative news that can come out of, out of a company, in particular if it's under pressure from the regulators. Sam is asking about Chorus, Scott. I mean, could there be a place in a portfolio for a pretty boring company like Chorus? Yeah, absolutely. A place in, in some portfolios for, for boring businesses like Chorus, for sure. Uh, the question, of course, and, and Rudy's alluded to it, is the price you pay. And I think I'm going to have to say no on this one, Nadine. So Scott says no. Um, but uh, it, it's if you're getting a growing company, you can afford to make valuation mistakes. will be roughly right in your valuation because if you'd have bought Amazon at somewhere between X and Y, you probably did okay as it went from $3 to 3000 right? You'd, you, you, can be, you can be wrong a lot on valuation, on, on multiples, on something, and still do really, really well. On Chorus, you're not going to get that sort of growth. And to Rudy's point, this is kind of one of those ugly businesses you want to be careful of because they've got limited upsides and I won't say unlimited downsides, but you know, there's not much growth left. And yet, if the regulators change their mind, it's a bit like utilities in Australia. If, if pricing regulators change their mind on how much you can charge or the return you can make on the assets, there's downside that you can't, you simply can't make back. You'll never make back a negative pricing decision, right? And so this is the challenge for a business like Chorus. And more importantly for investors, it's a challenge for the price you pay for a business like Chorus. And I think that to me is the challenge. You don't want to be paying, I mean, it's yielding 3.6%. The P is not super useful. These sort of businesses tend not to uh, report normal earnings. So you've got to ignore that a little bit. But at a yield of 3.6, you're just not getting enough offer opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. given the downside risk that may exist. And it's almost, it's the old reverse lottery ticket, right? Maybe you tick along and do okay, okay, okay. And eventually if someone pulls out the rug, you never make that back. 
And I think that's the risk. Tell, I'd put Telstra in the same basket for what it's worth speaking telecommunications. At the right price, you'll do okay. At the wrong price, you'll do terribly. And that's probably the range of outcomes you're looking for. I think Chorus is just too expensive to buy at the current price. Got it. Genworth Mortgage is a question coming from Max, GMA. Scott, I'll start with you. I struggle with Genworth Mortgage in a hot property market. Is it a good thing for the company or is it a bad thing for the company? Oh, man, so I find this one really, really tough, Nadine. And yeah. this is one where, as an advisor, it's a difficult answer to give. This is this. So the last little results were negative. Profits were, were did a little bit of loss. If you go back to 2019, it made a profit. And on that, on the basis of that profit, it's trading about 10 times 2019 earnings. That is cheap in anyone's language. And I don't think that's an unreasonable amount of money it can expect to earn. So on that basis alone, before I go to the next point, say, well, of course, it's a buy 10 times earnings. If I could buy a dozen businesses that are at 10 times earnings, I am very, very sure I'd do okay as long as they weren't structurally unsound. But this is the challenge. And this is why I'm I, I'm going to say no. I'll flag it now, but I, I'll i tell you why. And, and then look, viewers may decide, by the way, take a different decision. So the reason is because you're a mortgage insurer. If and when there is a property crash and you're left holding the baby, there are there is more than a small chance you get wiped out. Now, is it guaranteed? No, and I'm not trying to scare the horses. I don't want to scare anyone who owns Genworth shares, but you have to know that in the circumstances in which there is a major property collapse and the LMI particularly is called on, the lender's mortgage insurance is called on by the banks, Genworth pays out and you ask yourself what's left. There is a real risk to its ongoing solvency. And again, I'm not saying it will be insolvent. I'm not, I'm not making predictions. I'm just saying you have to know that in the wrong set of circumstances, this is a business whose very existence is at risk. And so again, that sort of inverse lottery ticket idea of maybe it's okay for a long time, maybe it's great for a long time, at 10 times earnings, as long as it doesn't go broke, you can't do badly, I don't think. And so you really do have to ask yourself, what risk do I want to take of that sort of existential threat? Mm-hmm. If you're prepared to take it on, it's a bit like the um, the, the um, Miller Shakespeare's of the world, right? If the government changed the laws around salary packaging, these businesses fold. If they don't change the laws, these businesses are fine. In this case, Genworth is, is cheap at the current price. The, the property boom, as you say, is absolutely great news for it because it's collecting a whole lot of uh, insurance premiums, not having to pay much out because mm-hmm. prices keep going up. There's no dramas with insurance. If and when the insurance is called on, though, it really is at risk. And I think if you're going to buy the shares, you need to know that. That's not my game. I'm not in the business of maybe I wake up and business is no longer there. So I'm going to say I'm going to avoid this one. Uh, but if you want to take the risk, that's the rationale under which you do it. For our purposes, that's an avoid. There's not a lot of coverage yeah. on Genworth Mortgage. Um, what do you think of it, no. Rudy? Uh, but let me, let me, let me. Why change? It's a no up, for me, it up a little bit. I agree <laughs> with, with both of you that this is uh, this is an incredibly difficult company to uh, to assess. Um, I'm going I'm going to take a slightly different view than than Scott does. Um, if you want to play the, the, the booming housing market in Australia, there are much better ways. You can do AFG, you can do Liberty Financial, which is now listed, um, mm-hmm. REA Group, although not at the current price, I would say. Um, and, and you can even argue maybe the banks, I mean, although maybe not, not at current prices either. Uh, this is, is, a, is a, 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 an enigma uh, at best, and they've actually been losing business. Uh, because Scott rightly points out, they do the insurance mm-hmm. and they've been losing business to the likes of QBE, which also do the insurance. Mm-hmm. For, 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 for. So, the, so the irony is this, that the share price sometimes gets up a lot because when these guys release more reserves, they pay out a, a massive dividend at times. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why you own this stock. And I think there is now expectation building that later in the year they might again mm-hmm. release more reserves because they don't need it because they're losing business. Yeah. So in a way you get more money, but 
that's really for me that's a strange way of playing playing a stock because sooner or later it's going to be reflected in the share price yeah um so it's it's cheap here you can you can get your boost maybe later in the year when they do announce a larger dividend from from extra release of reserves but i would i wouldn't i would never uh, buy a company like this um for, for the reasons we've all discussed now a long-term investment it is not Big River Industries is the next one on the list for Dean. BRI is the ticker code. I had to look it up as well. Building Supplies Distributor bought a timber business recently. This potentially is a way to play the stimulus in terms of yes. home builders, the, yes. you know, the housing boom. All of it. Well, it hasn't been listed for a very long time, but longer than I thought it had. <laughs> and it is, it is, Sounds it, like it, you had to do your research it, too. I, I visited the company's website actually, and I thought like, oh, they have some interesting products. But then you realize it's 124 million or something. And you go like, yeah, right. Um, I mean, we, we spoke about Emco earlier. That's what the CEO launches on, the, on an annual basis. Um, Interesting, yes. They, it, it's more. It's again. It's more of an acquisition story. Obviously, they they are small themselves, and there are still smaller companies in the sector, and they like to gobble them up. Uh, I've no doubt that the, the the promotion on the website about how good their products is that that's true, but they are my goodness, they are small. So um, you would have to take a view here again um, that they do all the right things, and that the dynamics in Australia are, are really uh, supportive. Um, for me, for me, it's for me, it's a no. I mean, uh, there are less risky ways of playing that that thematic. How about for you, Scott Phillips? Because there is a lack of, say, house builders that are listed here in Australia. So if you want to get some leverage to that building story, you've got to go with the likes of Boral, which has its problems. CSR reflected in its price potentially already. I mean, Adelaide Brighton. So could you look to one of these? smaller companies like Big River Industries? It's kind of got the same circumstance we talked about with Janison before, but I have a different conclusion. It is small, and so if you wanted to play a basket approach, might you throw Big River in a basket? Possibly, yeah. Um, to Rudy's point, though, it's very, very hard in this sort of industry when things are going reasonably well to be grabbing the one that's in steady and slow decline. Um, you, you kind of look at the numbers, and if you said, look, give me a reason to buy this one, you kind of look and go, well, nothing about the company, but by the, by the industry or by the trend, that might be enough, it might be. Um, but I think in that circumstance, you want to buy something that has got the track record. If I'm looking for building materials, I'm probably going to go Brickworks. It's not a pure play, mm -hmm. um, despite its name, not a pure play building material business because it has that cross shareholding with Solpats. Yeah. I own shares in Solpats for the record, so just put that on the, on the record. Um, but I think Brickworks is by far the more conservatively better, more thoughtfully run business. Again, not to slight Big River at all, just that Brickworks has the runs on the board and it seems likely that if they've been able to get growth and others haven't, um, either something about the industry, the competition, the company, maybe it's just simply the salespeople, maybe it's the product it's selling. Um, but in this sort of circumstance, if you look around and see a business that's declining while others have been rising, it's a really, really difficult one to be able to say, yeah, you know what, I, this, this is the one I'd particularly play. Um, it's, it's also not particularly cheap. It's about 18 times earnings on the numbers I've got. And, and that's, again, you know, if, you, if you're playing some sort of recovery, you might go the cheap one in the market if that was your inclination. Um, it is, just doesn't look cheap either. I, I, I see... Again, if, if you believe the theme, and I tend to believe it, I tend to believe we will have a, a building recovery, an economic recovery that'll continue. I've been on that train for a while. So I think that's true. But again, if Big River can't show that it's been part of growth in the past, it's a brave person who says, you know what, I'm gonna put my chips on this one rather than something else. So um, in, in the spirit of a bonus pick that Rudy did in the first half, I'll throw Brickworks in. I would absolutely go with that one rather than Big River. Got it. Let's, let's do another bonus, James Hardy. James Hardy. 
leveraged by, to the by, states by, as well? By far the highest quality in that sector, I believe. Rudy's feeling generous all of a sudden. He said no to so many. He's giving us bonus <laughs> buys. There you go. Um, let's get to our final company on the list from Michael. I have a feeling that this is bringing us full circle. The question is Kazia Therapeutics. KZA is the ticker code. It's got a license to sell a brain cancer treatment into greater China. That caused a bit of enthusiasm, but it's a biotech. It's very early stages. I'm going to Guess that Rudy's saying no. Well, we can, we can just, we can just <laughs> everything you just said, like this, we with do the with nose. my voice, exactly. <laughs> it, it is, it's, it's, and the share price has already, has already uh, run on, on a few announcements. Again, it's, you really have to, I mean, there's, there's no doubt you can make money with biotechs, but you would, it's better to, to be on board before the announcements and then have a certain degree of confidence that the announcements will be positive. Um, I mean, the best comparison to make, and Scott mentioned it earlier in the, in the Missile blast last year completely pumped up. Everyone got excited. Yeah. Some people so are arguing volatile. with me that it's the new CSL, and today nobody talks about missile blast anymore. And I wonder why would that be? A <laughs> <laughs> uh, little bit of facetiousness coming for his fellow expert guests from Rudy Scott. Do you have any different view on Casia Therapeutics KZA for Michael? No, but you both took the words right in my mouth. I was going to go the full circle. You mentioned it, Dean, and then I was going to mention the, the Mesoblast example as well, Rudy, because <laughs> it's very much that story of, you know, if you look at Mesoblast and you think, you know, the, some of the claims that were made or the expectations that people held about Mesoblast are the same that have, they've held in other companies, by the way, including this one, Casio, and including Immutep. Um, Immutep, sorry. The, 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 you know, it, it's hard, right? You can say, well, of course, they've just done this, so this will happen. And there is the, the market is littered with examples of exactly that. People who've bought the noise, bought the expectation, bought the hope or the hype um, and, and been left wanting. And this is why it's so incredibly difficult because you can take two, two examples, uh, take two companies where there's been an announcement made, one goes up 100%, the other one falls 50% in the next 12 months. You say, well, what's the difference? The answer ends up being sentiment. And, and unless you're kind of a day trader or you're trying to trade sentiment or you're trying to somehow be clever about it, in, if the same circumstance goes two very different opposite ways um, through nothing other than the number of investors who decide they like or don't like the idea or the investment or the release or the announcement, then you really are playing with fire. This is this is coin toss territory. Um, arguably probably worse than a coin toss, actually, because most lose rather than win. So maybe maybe you're tossing a loaded coin and the coin's totally loaded against you. But it's just a really, really tough business to try and get right. This is all about expectation and sentiment right now. There's very little in the way of fundamentals. Not saying people aren't looking at fundamental announcements and making their own decisions, but that's different to how do you justify the current share price? Look at Foslock in the past. Look at, yeah, there's, a, there's a million examples that we've talked about over and over again uh, on this and other programs where you simply say, look, the market's excited about this stock. Sometimes the stock goes through the roof and it becomes the next CSL. Far more often though, people lose interest, they lose confidence, they lose faith. The shares then fall because the buyers go away and the sellers come out and you know get rid of their shares to move on to the next big thing. And if you get in late, as Rudy says, post-announcement, post the, the increase, um, more often than not, I think I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but my, my very confident guess is, and Rudy may have a different one, but my confident guess is if you did this you know, it, you know, 10 times after an announcement, I would bet the, the expected return is actually negative over the following 12 months um, because eventually when the sentiment runs out, when the money runs out, when the buying runs out, mm -hmm. you're left basically with someone trying to work out how much to pay and the sellers abandon the ship really quickly. Michael, that's an avoid. Let me run you through the companies that we've just discussed. Both of the guys say that Auckland Airport, if you're investing, it's a long, long-term view, but at current price, it's a no for Scott and for Rudy. 
Chorus is a no for both of the gents as well. Even the dividend that has been a performer in the past has been called into question going forward. Rudy says it could potentially be a value trap. And Scott is just saying, where's the growth? Where's the upside from here? It's very limited in his view. Genworth Mortgage Insurance, we all uh, find this one a little bit difficult. Uh, Rudy says, look, if you want to gain exposure to the housing story, you could look for AFG in that sort of financial services space. It is cheap. It's cheap in Scott's view as well, but it's an avoid for both of them. The wrong set of circumstances in Scott's view could just see this company blow up altogether. Big River Industries, again, it's so small. Why get into this one is the question for Rudy. So he has said, get into James Hardy. Instead, if you want to leverage the building, the housing recovery, the economic recovery story, Scott is a believer in that story as well. But again, he just says, give me a reason to buy this business. I mean, you have to look at track records. And in his view, a company with a way better track record is Brickwork. So that's your bonus buy coming from Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. That takes us to Casia Therapeutics. KZA is the ticker code. Misoblast, might I say more, need I say more? Uh, look, it's just a no, it's just too difficult, worse than a coin toss in Scott's view. And uh, yeah, Rudy saying, show me the money going forward and uh, not worth your money now. So that's a no. Rudy, boy, you were tough on these 10 companies. Love it. No's all around, <laughs> yeah, true. True, Rudy, thanks so much for joining us My in pleasure. studio at Ben Arena. Scott Phillips, you're a little bit kinder, got a couple yeses out of you, not enough to put any in the portfolio. Hey, I hope you have a good day down there. In Bow, we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, guys. Good afternoon. Scott Phillips there from The Motley School. Rudy Philippek van Dyke from FN Arena. If you would like these guys or any of our other expert guests to cover a company for you, just email us at the call, osbiz.com.au. Tweet us at osbiztv. Stay with us. Plenty more news and market analysis coming up after this very short break.